Well, we're still here, so let's talk about it. We're continuing with the Medical Assistance in Dying, or MAID. We kind of talked last week about the 10 states in the United States that have already legalized this MAID process, and we kind of looked at Ontario, Canada as well. What I didn't know last week was that the entire country of Canada actually has legalized this form of physician-assisted suicide or medical assistance in dying. What I thought I'd do today is take a look at Scotland. I mean, that sounds really strange. Why Scotland? But I happened to be acquainted with a gentleman who put a post on his social media. First of all, I didn't realize he had moved to Scotland, so that was a surprise. And secondly, he posted this article that just really intrigued me. And because I am not aware of him really speaking in the dying and death space, I wanted to know more. This man is very intelligent, a very studied man. I respect what he has to say. I respect the way he does research, and I respect the way he reports on that research. Having said all of that, I am going to share some parts of this document that he posted on his social media page from Scotland. This piece from the Scottish Council on Human Bioethics came January 2017, and in it, they asserted the reasons for not supporting physician-assisted suicide. In quotes, that's what they called it. The article began by noting that they recognize that some persons may wish for assistance to end their lives, which they might find unbearable. It also understands that these are very difficult situations where a lot of compassion and sympathy is required. However, they continue to state, the concept of assisted suicide cannot be supported by the SCHB for the following reasons. I'm going to list the reasons with not a lot of explanations because this is a 17-page document. I don't think we need to know all 17 pages. I am going to include a link for you if you want to look at them. I did read it all. If you want to look further, you'll have that access. Alrighty, here we go. Number one, palliative care is available for pain control and can be achieved for up to 95% of patients, quote, with appropriate medication when treated by healthcare professionals with relevant expertise, unquote. The paper admits that there is about 5% of folks who do not receive pain relief despite good hospice care and palliative care. The authors also note that there are adjunctive medications to address anxiety and restlessness and other symptoms that could further alleviate the overall symptoms that patients might see as unbearable. The society's assertion, therefore, is that, quote, experts agree that most physical suffering can be relieved by a holistic range of measures, including surgery. When the suffering is caused by psychological distress or depression, this can usually be identified and an appropriate medical response provided. Thus, physical suffering or depression should not be a motive for assisted suicide if appropriate palliative care is available. Thus, physical suffering or depression should not be a motive for assisted suicide if appropriate palliative care is available, end quote. 
They went on to say, though, that it's important that patients with difficult symptoms be aware that complete relief is sometimes beyond the realm of medicine. In this regard, they state, it should be noted that palliative care not only includes medical assistance, but endeavors to provide non-clinical support and the right environment for patients to express and work through their distress. Thus, few patients request assisted suicide when their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs have been adequately addressed. The reason I'm choosing to expand and describe this entire first point they make against MADE is because many doctors believe this same thing, that if we can control all the varying symptoms that a patient will have and suffer toward the end of their life, then perhaps there is not a need for the physician-assisted suicide. Number two, the SCHB states their belief that inherent human dignity is enduring and can never be lost and that legalizing assisted suicide would mean that society would not accept some individuals can actually lose their inherent human dignity and have lives which no longer have any worth, meaning, or value. It would also mean denying the inherent dignity which is due to an individual in order for him or her to be legally killed. This is in complete opposition to a responsible, civilized, benevolent, and compassionate society which continues to affirm and defend the lives of all its members and the notion that every human life is full of value, meaning, and richness, even though persons may be aged, dependent on others, or may have lost their autonomy. Therefore, in order to function consistently, society must reject assisted suicide if it does not want to undermine its most basic and fundamental values. We're going to go along here now to number three. Inherent human dignity and the proper functioning of society takes precedence over absolute autonomy. Number four. Inherent human dignity is grounded on an interdependent society. Number five, assisted suicide should not be considered as a medical procedure. I did include a note here. I liked what it said under this paragraph. It explains, assisted suicide actually undermines the traditional goal of medicine, namely to cure and care, but not to harm or kill patients. It is also important to recognize that it is not easy from a psychological perspective for a physician or any other person to take part in assisted suicide. Research, moreover, indicates that the most sustained demands for assisted suicide are actually considered by persons suffering from existential problems or because they have an extreme concept of control and independence. Thus, the argument in favor of assisted suicide is more about control than medicine. Number six. Assisted suicide would undermine the relationships of healthcare professionals with their patients. Number seven, assisted suicide should not be legalized just because it is occurring in secret. Number eight, international legal instruments oppose assisted suicide. Number nine, assisted suicide would undermine the protection due to the most vulnerable persons in society. Number 10, the request to die may not reveal patients' real wishes. Number 11. Neither suicide nor assisted suicide should be seen as acceptable outcomes. Number 12. The legalization of assisted suicide would lead to unworkable laws. Number 13. Gradual widening of categories. 
And here, there's some notation about how this has happened in Belgium and the Netherlands. The next section of this article has to do with the current laws that are in place, and so I'm not going to read everything. Again, this is a 17-page document, but I do have some points that I grabbed out that I think are really helpful for us as we're looking at how America sees medical aid in dying. So this article noted that presently suicide is not a crime in Scott's law, and it is therefore not a criminal offense to attempt suicide unless it is considered a breach of the peace. The sympathy which the law has for suicide does not necessarily extend to those who facilitate suicide, and since the term assisted suicide as such is not specifically defined in Scottish legislation, it may constitute the art and part of murder or culpable homicide. This means that it is possible that a person who assists someone else whether in the form of giving advice or the provision of the means to commit suicide would be prosecuted for culpable homicide or for perhaps a lesser offense such as assault or culpable and reckless injury behavior. Further down the article, it was noted that England and Wales legalized suicide in 1961 and multiple attempts since that time have been made to pass a bill allowing for assisted suicide. However, it's been unable to achieve the required number of parliamentary votes and remains illegal and punishable by law. The debate continues. Now we move on to the Netherlands. They passed their Termination of Life on Request and Assisted Suicide Act in um, April 2002, and it states, any person who terminates another person's life at the person's express and earnest request remains liable to a term of imprisonment or fine. Such an act shall not be an offense if it is committed by a physician, however, who notifies the municipal pathologist of this act in accordance with the relevant legislation and fulfills the stipulated due care criteria by which the attending physician must be satisfied that the patient has made a voluntary and carefully considered request, be satisfied that the patient's suffering is unbearable and that there is no prospect of improvement. They note here that it's not a condition for the patient to be terminally ill or that the suffering is physical. So take note of that. Next, the physician must have informed the patient about his or her situation and his or her prospects, must have concluded together with the patient that there is no reasonable alternative in the light of the patient's situation. The physician must have consulted at least one other independent physician who must have seen the patient and given a written opinion on the due care criteria referred to above. The doctor or physician must also have terminated the patient's life or provided assistance with suicide with due medical care and attention. So if you notice right there, it's after the fact. So after the suicide takes place is when the physician would make this report. Continuing, similarly, any person who intentionally incites another to commit suicide, if suicide follows, is normally punishable under the criminal code by a term of imprisonment or fine, but commits no offense if the above due care criteria are fulfilled. I also want to point out here that children ages 16 and 17 can make their own decisions in principle but their parents must be involved in the decision-making process 
regarding the ending of their life. For children aged 12 to 16, the approval of the parents or guardian is required. And then finally they state, the legislation offers an explicit recognition of the validity of a written declaration of will regarding euthanasia. I think that is part of that withdrawal of consent that we looked at last time. Once the physician submits this report, there's a review committee that looks it over, and if they agree that the physician has practiced due care, the case will be closed. If not, the case will be brought to the attention of the public prosecutor, who has the power to launch its own investigation if there is a suspicion that a criminal act may have been committed. So there's a little bit of checks and balances there. Either way, the patient has already died at this point, but the doctors still have to answer uh, to this public prosecutor if their report is not sufficient to allow these review committees to believe that the proper due care was given. Now I'd like to talk about Belgium. We already kind of talked about the Netherlands. It's mentioned a lot, and I'm not really sure why, except maybe that they're They have broader rules about how medical-assisted dying is happening. That may require its own separate study. Right now, I'm not inclined to do that, but every time I hear about the Netherlands, I'm going to bring it up. So back to Belgium. In 2002, legislation was passed making euthanasia possible, but it does not allude to assisted suicide, even though the country enables similar procedures to the Netherlands. Thus, the law does not specify the method to be used by the physician even though he or she must describe it in an official form to be forwarded to the Federal Evaluation and Control Commission. In 2014, Belgium became the only country in Europe that officially allowed children of all ages to access euthanasia and assisted suicide, provided parental consent is granted. Regarding Switzerland, The legislation made in 1942 on assisted suicide is a special case in Europe. The Article 15 Criminal Code specifies that what makes assisted suicide punishable is the existence of a selfish motive. It should be noted, however, that the drafting of Article 15 was not motivated by medical considerations. They cited a situation where perhaps in the setting of an unhappy love affair, one friend loaned a weapon to their friend who wished to commit suicide. In this case, then, of course, proceedings would take place to determine whether that person should be punishable by Switzerland law. Article 115 from Switzerland's criminal code now, though, it's pointed out, is used for assisted suicide, which is not what the legislation intended. That's all they said about it in this article, but I'm kind of curious to know what that means. And I'm kind of wondering out loud if it has to do with the broadening that Netherlands is doing now. Lastly is the country of Luxembourg. In March of 2009, legalized euthanasia and assisted suicide was enacted. In the legislation, individuals suffering from a terminal or incurable illness are able to have their lives ended after receiving the approval of two doctors and a panel of experts. So as you can see, Canada as a whole, the U.S. so far, 10 states, all of Europe, 
all approve and have laws around medical aid in dying. Scotland, as we just learned, is the only one that I have seen so far that does not. There are many countries in Europe. I'm broadcasting to you from the United States, and at the risk of being egocentric, that's kind of where I want my interest to lie, more so than the other countries. But I believe that it is still important to point out what other countries are doing in this effort. Because I think as we are watching what they do, the proponents of medical aid in dying here in the U.S. can use those criteria, some of the experiences, and societal behaviors and norms and kind of use it in their own decision-making here. So I have a podcast that I listened to recently, and the questions were for two physicians stating the pros and cons, so both sides of the issue of medical assistance in dying. I'd like to bring that to you. I'm going to probably do it next week because I'm trying to keep these these sessions shorter. It's a lot of information. There's a lot of laws and other real heavy things, I think, that I need to kind of look over, research, and it can get very convoluted. I hope that you don't mind that. I hope that it helps you take these little chunks of a very big topic and digest it a little bit at a time to gain an understanding of why a patient may pursue medical assistance in dying, why countries and states are enacting laws approving this form of ending one's life. But it's also very interesting to see how other countries accept or reject these same ideas. I hope that you found that interesting today. It sure has been for me. That's why I'm kind of recording this show almost a day later than I really wanted to, because I want to be accurate, I want to be thorough, and I want to be responsible about the information that I'm sharing with you. I'm glad you're here. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. You can go to my website for more articles, little news pieces, or a transcript of this podcast. The website is whilewe'restillhere.com. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can send me an email too. Thanks again, and until next time, take care.